my relationship with myself, I think, first of all, is is so drastically different mm -hmm. than it ever was uh, before entering into this. I didn't I didn't realize the very strangely wrapped gift that this mm -hmm. uh, could be even for myself. Yeah. There were so many areas of my own life that needed healing, um, a lot of insecurities and core beliefs and uh, just feeling a lot of inadequacy. I brought a lot into a relationship as well. And so this journey has just been a journey of really knowing who I am, my worth and value, my identity, really being able to stand in that. And I think that is one thing that that cannot be taken away from me. I think I um, just realized now, like there is a firm foundation that can stand on. Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. Today we have a special presentation taken from a recent Betrayal Healing Conference in which two of our staff members, Chris and Elizabeth Hardesty, tell their story of redemption. It's a fascinating and really inspiring story that you're going to want to hear. Here now are Chris and Elizabeth Hardesty. Welcome, everyone. This is Tammy Gustafson with Betrayal Healing. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Chris and Elizabeth Hardesty about their journey as a couple who went through betrayal and healing through it. So first, a little bit about their background. So Chris, with a heart for helping those who are tethered to their sexual brokenness, Chris serves as a counselor at Faithful and True, working alongside his wife, Elizabeth, and the rest of the staff. He focuses on counseling men, and he also teams up with Elizabeth to co-facilitate couples counseling. Elizabeth is fiercely dedicated to helping women who have had uh, sexual betrayal in their background. And she offers individual counseling and leads group for women who are impacted by betrayal. Chris and Elizabeth are both licensed professional clinical counselors in Minnesota. And in addition to their educational and professional experience, their work is informed out of their own recovery journey together. So welcome, Chris and Elizabeth. I'm so glad to have you guys here. Thank you. Thanks, Tammy. Great to be here. So this, this interview is a little bit different. So rather about really kind of diving into topics or about advice, we are going to talk about their story, their story of sexual betrayal and brokenness and healing and redemption. And obviously everybody's story is different and not all marriages make it. Mm -hmm. And there is no right way to heal, but I wanted to provide an insight into a couple who did make it mm -hmm. and, and the incredible hope that that offers. Mm -hmm. So Chris, will you lead us out uh, and paint a picture of your guys' life prior to disclosure? Sure, sure. So at that point, we were both in our early 30s, and we'd been married about 10 years, I think, at that at that juncture. And life, from the outside looking in, would have looked, I think it would have looked really good. Mm -hmm. uh, when I'm teaching at our workshops, I tell the guys that I'm working with, you know, the Christmas cards look really good. Mm -hmm. uh, but little did people know, even Elizabeth, for that matter, really the extent to which what was going on behind the scenes. And so really on the outside, what you saw, what I think you would have seen is this, uh, this couple and, and we had young kids and, you know, it looked as though we kind of had it all put together, uh, was doing very well in, in 
career-wise, the whole the whole bit, really. It just looked like, wow, you know, that that was that's what that's what people aspire to. Mm-hmm. And yet for roughly 20 years, I had been on this trajectory, this this trajectory of addiction, really. Mm-hmm. What I what I consider addiction, uh, sexual addiction. And so but which it really started, of course, if you do the math, it started when I was around 13 years old and 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 kind of stuck with me. And then and then obviously I brought that into the marriage and, and tried to keep as much of that under wraps as I could. And then 10, 11 years down the road, it, it, it's not it's never sustainable. And so it caught up with us, caught up with me. I was exposed. And that was really our 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 point of um kind of really where we, I think the D marker, we would say that's where the recovery journey started. So guys, I would love to hear the, Chris, you took us to kind of the point of like when your healing journey started um, and really that, that is usually either a discovery or a disclosure. And so can you walk us through, and Elizabeth, will you tell us a little bit about what, what was the catalyst for that and, and how, how did that period of time go for you guys? Yeah. So, you know, I really didn't know a lot outright of what was going on below the surface. Um, but 10 years into our marriage at this point, it was really beginning to, I could, I could, I could sense it. I could feel it that mm-hmm. there was just this anxiety, this tension in our home. It felt like a walking on eggshells with three young kids in the home. It just, it was just to me becoming pretty, um, unsustainable. I just really was becoming weary of trying to kind of manage and wonder what was going on and live in that perpetual state of anxiety. And so for me, it, it, it just led to this place where I felt like I, I, I need to be, I need to be free from this relationship. I feel like there's something going on. I feel like I don't know everything going on, but I just, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And so I called up Chris and uh, asked him to come meet me in a parking lot one day and I told him, um, I'm in love with you, but or I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore. And I really, I, I'd like you to move out. And I believe we need to get on the path of divorce. And so that was really kind of the, the, the first time that kind of drastic news was dropped. And so for Chris, what did that, what did that spur inside of you? And how does that relate to the disclosure? Well, that's interesting. This morning I was with one of my groups and I, I, uh, we, this, like this uh, meeting came up in the group that we're talking about now. And it's, I, I call it the, the worst day and the best day of my life, mm-hmm. both. And so there was a sense of agony, a- anger, even frustration, a fear. I mean, and there was a sense of relief as well. It's like, okay, you know, and there really wasn't a, there really wasn't a, any sort of major disclosure that was happening at this point, but, I think there was a part of me that knew that there was like our, our situation was, was not s- sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so there was a, there, that sense of relief wasn't necessarily that what, what you get out of the, what, what comes with the disclosure as much as it was just out of a, this tension has been building, building, building. And now we're going to um, now there's an opportunity for, for one way or one way or the other, this pressure is finally going to be released, but also a, 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 a profound sense of, helplessness, helplessness. I think in my day-to-day life, I just thought, I've got it all, I've got it all figured out. I've got it all put together. I'm in control. 
you know, this of the situation. And, and yet in a moment like that, you rec- you realize that you're, you're not in control of anything. So, so guys, fast forward to when, at what point did the full disclosure actually happen? And how did you guys come to that place of, all right, it's time you were not getting divorced right now because you didn't get divorced then. But like, how did, how did that process go? So without even knowing there was something called a full disclosure or full disclosure process, when, when Chris first moved out and I believed at that point we were going down the path of divorce, I, as I said, I just felt like there was something that I, there was more that I just didn't know. And I remember emailing, uh, emailing Chris and saying the the one gift that you could give me as we're parting ways is, is the gift of truth. Will you, will you just tell me the truth so that I know what I'm healing from? And maybe you can speak to kind of that, that sure. month of wrestling. Yeah. Well, there really was a, a period of wrestling there where, you know, that, that I want to get honest and, and authentic or, or not. And just a lot, a lot of ambivalence around that. And uh, all, all of that to say, I ended up in a, a library for at least two days, maybe three days. Mm-hmm. And I just spent time, just kind of outlining my entire, again, not knowing anything about it, this, what a full disclosure was, but just outlining my entire sexual history and with the, with the intention of delivering it to Elizabeth. And, you know, I, like I said, at this point, I was three or four weeks in, and I just, I really at that, at that point had resolved just from a variety of uh, sources and encouragement and so forth, just to get, to get honest, just to be Integrity was the word that kept coming up. What would it look like to be a man of integrity? Anyway, I, I started putting this, this document together and then uh, proceeded to deliver it. Actually, I asked Elizabeth if she would meet with me uh, one morning and, and she, she did. And I went through that document from beginning to end. Um, it's, not, it's not what we would advise. You know, we would we have a formal full disclosure guided process of faithful and true that really is, in our view, the the the, the right way to go or the most constructive way to go. Um, but when we didn't know what we didn't know, uh, that was that seemed. I mean, I, I guess it was just intuition, just sort of surrender. I'm just going to put it out there, and mm-hmm. we'll see where the chips fall. So Elizabeth, for you, you had felt this, you had had a gut feeling for a long time that something was not okay. And, and you were in tune to that, which is pretty awesome because as women, sometimes it's hard to do that. But mm-hmm. did that confirm all of that? Like, talk to me about your process once you, as you sat down and listened to that. And as you processed through the truth after that. Yeah, man, it's really something just to even kind of think back to that. Like, even just that sense that I had that there's more, you know, I mean, you, you just start to kind of live with that and get used to that. And, and so to have Chris shared what he did in some ways, yes, it was absolutely validating of like, I, I knew, mm. you know, and so in some ways it was validating to, to be able to trust myself. Like, I, okay. Like I wasn't crazy. You know, this, this wasn't just me being a, an anxious person or overly sensitive or, you know, any of those types of things. It was really validating for me of, okay, I can trust myself. Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly uh, devastating oh, yeah. to, to really hear the depths to which um, Chris had been uh, in, in his addiction and really what our, what our marriage had been based on and built on. 
Mm. It was, it was just, a, it was a lot to take in and um, certainly just a lot to work to grieve and reconcile. So how did you do that? How did you take it in? How did you grieve and reconcile it? Mm. And I, tell me like, sure, this was not a short process. Never <laughs> is. So talk to us about that process. Yeah. It's such an important process that I had no idea. had no idea how important this process was of grieving, of, of being able to, to name the losses, mm. um, to be able to speak it out loud and not just brush it under the rug, to not have to be quick to forgive and, and move back towards Chris, but to really just listen to myself and slow down, um, get quiet, get still, learning how to really just uh, take that next right step. It was, it was a lot of time journaling, a lot of time crying, a lot of time being angry, just, you know, feeling, feeling all those feelings and knowing that's okay. This is, this is part of that process and being allowed to be where I was having safe people around me, you know, uh, getting involved with a therapist. I mean, all of those were such key pieces for me that I, that I feel was part of my um, healing journey for sure. So what were some things that were I mean, you've talked about a lot of great things, but what were the things that were really helpful that you're like, man, I'm so thankful I did that. And what were the things along the way that you're like, oh, that, that, that did not help that hurt kind of, if I could rewrite the story, I would do that different. I can give you both of those. So, um, you know, early on, uh, in, in the first, there were, so Chris moved out. And the way that we did it, we had three young kids at home. And so the way we worked our separation is that I would stay home with the kids Monday through Friday. And then Chris would come Friday and stay with him through Sunday. So we kind of did this nesting thing where the kids were able to stay in their home. And for those first couple of weekends, I, I did a lot of coping. Like I just really kind of wanted to escape. I wanted to numb out. I kind of felt like I'm, I'm out from underneath that pressure. And so there's a part of me that just wanted to drink and mm -hmm. um, kind of take the edge off. Yeah, and totally. It, it wasn't too long before I realized like, this isn't, this isn't really going to help me. It can temporarily feel good to kind of numb the pain. And yet this is not what's going to really bring me healing. And so that's something I think of that was not as helpful, understandable, mm. right? I think totally. I can understand why I went to that, but certainly can see now that wasn't the um, healthiest option for me. But one thing that um, I am so thankful for at Faithful and True, we talk about uh, for the women, we tell them about having a POYO and creating a POYO and a POYO is a place of your own. And um, just a, a place that just becomes your your spot for healing. And so I, I had this big overstuffed chair in the corner of this room that we didn't use very often. And that chair became like my, my place of healing. I had um, quotes hung around. I had just any like encouraging words. I had journals, I had my books, I had my tissues, you know, just whatever I needed. And the kids couldn't sit there. Like that was just my spot where I would go for healing. And I, when I think back to those early months, days, years, uh, that was really a sacred spot and something I'm very thankful for. Oh, I, I love that so much. Okay. So Chris, I'm, I'm curious for you what this process was for you watching Elizabeth grieve, mm -hmm which includes anger, includes sadness. Mm -hmm. Like what was the process that you were going through um, in this phase of the healing journey? I think one, one element of, of some of the, the early 
stages, the early stage, was just this shift in motivation from a from more of an from more of an extrinsic or ex external motivation to more of an internal motivation to be well. And sometimes around here we say, well, the, one of the greatest gifts our wives, some of the guys that I work with were in similar situations and we, and we all agree, like the greatest gift our, our wife gave us was no hope. Well, that sounds- Tell me more about that. <laughs> that sounds a little silly or maybe a little, maybe perplexing in some way, but the greatest gift is no hope, no hope in the relationship. Yeah. So we, we often see men around here get really kind of fixated on, if I can just save the relationship, then everything's good. Hmm. We're good to go. That's not really our approach around here. It's more like, what are the two, what, what's the relative health of the two individuals? So what I'm saying is by Elizabeth, you know, really kind of bowing out of the relationship and not giving the relationship really a future vision, then really I was forced just to look and focus on myself, just introspectively, like what's going on here with what's, what, what got me here? And so that was, and that was extremely helpful. I don't, it wasn't by design necessarily, like, you know, and it certainly wasn't punitive or anything like that. It just was, mm -hmm. it just was. And so there was that opportunity to really kind of look at, to, to really get introspective with intrinsic motivation that developed pretty quickly to really want to be well, to want to want to be a man of integrity. And, and, and that's with or without Elizabeth. I still had, I still had some hope for the relationship. I mean, I was hopeful that maybe one of these days we could get back together and, and have a future, um, but I didn't, I wasn't, to me, that wasn't probable, probable. That was probably not going to happen. But if I were going to move forward with my, with myself and my children, what, what kind of man, how did I want to show up and what kind of man did I want to really be? So I saw this as a really a, a profound opportunity to, to, to shift and change. I think part of that was, you know, I, part of that was actually seeing Elizabeth from time to time, because we weren't around each other really that much because we were because of our separation. But I could but I could really see in, in the limited inter interaction that we did have. I mean, I could I could see and sense and really it was palpable that the sadness and the anger and mm. the, thing, the the fear and all, all of the things that you mentioned, Tammy. And, you know, and it was I, I started to this took a while, but I started to catch a, a glimpse of her pain mm. and what, what she'd been through. And, and I think, but I have to, that was helpful in the, in the repair of the relationship, but I don't know that that was like, that wasn't my motivator primarily to be, to be well. Uh, but I did know for sure. Let me just qualify that with, I knew I didn't want to hurt anyone like that ever again. And that would require me to show up differently and be, be different. Yeah. So Chris, talk to me about, because as I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm not hearing shame. Mm -hmm. I'm not hearing that you are living in shame or that shame really has a stronghold on you. And I, I see that that is such um, that's kind of a make or break thing I see with a lot of men. It's yeah. like those who are able to get out from under shame and those who are not and stay mm -hmm. stuck. So yeah. I'm curious for you, 
how, if you know, like, how did, how did you get out from underneath that shame? Yeah, well, it's been a process and I'm still not completely out from underneath of shame, you know? That's fair. Yeah. Um, but I've come a long way and I do think that that, I, I absolutely, that's key to, you know, that, that kind of that ongoing heart transformation and so forth. Uh, but I, I think that, um, if I were to point to one, like one factor, then I, I would have to say community would, would, would have been the primary driver in that. I was kind of a loner. I was, I was, I'm just naturally introverted. Um, so I didn't have much of a support network around me anyway, or barely that many friends. And I wasn't that pleasant to be around, as you might imagine, you know, any, anyways. And I was a, a lot different then. By the way, this was 10 years ago. I don't know that we've actually said that yet. Oh, yeah. Thank so you. So this, this was a decade a decade ago, um, but in community. So I was encouraged. I mean, I think what also helped was there were people around me that were actually in. There was an invitation. Chris, would you be willing to go to this workshop? Chris, would you be willing to come to our a group or our group? Would you be willing to be included? We know all of your, or we know that, you know, you're at a high level anyway, at this point, we know your story, but you're still welcome. You see that, that, that grace, that, that starts to, that really starts to, to help one shed the shame that's associated with this part and parcel of this, of the, of the, all the baggage that you're bringing into the recovery process. And so, so you had to be known you had to open up your heart and be vulnerable to these other men exactly. for that shame to be released. Through the that vulnerability, then I could come against kind of a kind of a reframing of some of these core beliefs. Well, if these people knew me, they'd reject me, you know, that right. kind of thing. And so, mm -hmm. um, but it was, now there were people who didn't, who not, weren't necessarily interested in being in relationship with me. And that's just, a natural consequence of the way things went down. But there were people who were willing to come alongside me and say, uh, I love you no matter what. That and is a gift. Your, yeah. your behavior is your behavior. Uh, it's different than who you are. And, and it was profound. Mm -hmm. you know, that grace was life changing. Mm -hmm. And so it was people around me being known that helped me see who I truly something I could never, could never have seen, I don't think on my own. So that was, that, that's largely the, that, that journey. And then yeah, just, con just continuing consistently over time, just continuing to grapple with this idea, with identity and what, who, who am I? Which I think is a really, who I, who I truly am. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a really good point too, of just that the journey of recovery is obviously more than just getting sober. But it's all this like deep character work that you guys are 10 years in now and you're right. saying like it's 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 a process of continuing to grow and wanting to be the best version of yourself. And so I think that's awesome. So, Elizabeth, I'm curious for you. Um, there was a time where you had to shift and start leaning in. You didn't have to, but there's a time where you decided to lean back in. Obviously you guys are together. Mm -hmm. You're smiling with each other. It looks like you guys have a good, a good rapport with each other here. So most of the time, most so. of the time, <laughs> that's just real life, right? <laughs> <laughs>
But what was that like for you to shift, to go from, I am protecting myself. I have boundaries. We are separated to that, that, that slow 180. It's so terrifying. So tell us about what that was like for you. So terrifying and so slow. I love what yes. both of those words. I think, um, oh man, I think at first, even though I was beginning to sense, I could really, mm -hmm. I could see it. I could feel it that Chris really was choosing to be well and that he really was intrinsically transforming. And I just was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I want to. At that point, you know, after being married for those years, like my, my heart really had grown pretty cold in terms of, um, I think safety, trust, attraction, you know, all those pieces. And so even though I was seeing those things and feeling those things, it just, it was just really a journey for, 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 for me to take those baby steps of turning around, of listening to myself and trusting. I know I've mentioned that a couple of times, but really listening and trusting myself, knowing that all my trust is not going to be in Chris, you know, mm -hmm. that I will give trust where trust is earned. And, um, I could not rush that earning process. Chris couldn't rush that earning process. You know, I just, I had to mm -hmm. allow my heart to heal as it needed to heal without any pressure, expectations, anything on that. And I, I, I wanted to not put that on myself. And it was also really huge for me that I wasn't receiving that from Chris. There wasn't any pressure to be anywhere other than where I was. There was not pressure to get back in the marriage. There was not pressure to become sexual again, like just no pressures around those things. And so mm -hmm. there really was just this freedom for me to, to, to trust myself and trust that journey. So you touched on so many critical things. Cause I know I get this all the time. I'm sure you guys do as well, but just the fear of like, is it, is it ever possible to trust? Where is it, is it even possible for me to respect this man again, who has mm. destroyed my respect in my life? Is it possible to be attracted to him again? Like mm -hmm. just where you talked about your heart had grown cold. I think that's just such a natural part of that process of going, but then getting to that piece of like, I don't even know if it's possible. Mm -hmm. So what, what would you say from your story? What would you say to other women who are at that place now of like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I would, yes, I can certainly understand because I had those same questions myself of, uh, could I ever trust again? Could I ever be attracted again to him? And I would say, absolutely. There's such hope for that. I, I really, truly can sit here and say, I, I do, I do, I do trust Chris. Um, I would say it is very different. I think Tell that, me about that. Uh, yeah, I would, we, we talk here at Faithful and True about how I, I know for myself that I came into marriage with something that we refer to as positional trust that hmm. I really, I, I gave, I gave my trust to Chris because he was my husband. We said our vows together. And so therefore hmm. I gave, I just gave it. Um, over and just, it was more of just an assuming like, well, of course I can trust him and really kind of shutting down um, any type of, of red flag or hunch or intuition because there was this positional trust. And uh, really now my trust is based on, I, I have, I give trust where trust is earned mm -hmm. and there really is this ongoing, I think, listening and assessing myself, uh, just checking in with myself and the way that Chris shows up with me ongoing in relationship continues to be very trustworthy. There's, mm -hmm. there's nothing that comes against that gut feeling in me, that gut check that says this doesn't feel right. And if there ever is anything, I check it out. You know, we, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't 
put it under the rug. I don't, which I used to do a lot. I, did, I didn't want to have the conflict or the confrontation. And now I, I check it out. I, I'm not going to let that go. Mm-hmm. And so I think then based on how Chris responds to that, it's like, okay, I can continue to, to mm-hmm. trust and lean in and be, be here, choose to be here in this relationship with him. So it's an ongoing choosing. It's mm-hmm. an ongoing trust building mm-hmm. earning. Is, am I hearing you right? I think that's so huge. I, I mean, just even the way you say that, I think is really, really powerful because I think you're exactly right. It's it's not a one and done mm-hmm. that, okay, I trust him now. And so therefore forever will. I think it's, mm-hmm. um, it is an ongoing, like, I do I long to? I, I do. I, I hope I can continue uh, to always trust Chris and feel the way I feel now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it's just going to be continuing to just listen to myself and trust myself and and check in with Chris and, and see how that, how that feels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I'm so, absolutely, I was going to say, I'm absolutely open to, I mean, that's part of it. That was going to be my question. You know, you're hearing about, you're hearing Elizabeth talk about no, there's no, no pressure, um, being patient, uh, being willing, being willing to offer information. I mean, these are the kinds of things that really are necessary. I mean, just that's just a sliver, I think, of what's necessary. But th- all of those are necessary ingredients in rebuilding trust and maintaining trust. And so I have no problem whatsoever with Elizabeth coming to me with any sort of, hey, can I check this out? Now, mm-hmm. also, I just want to maybe throw in, too, that the way she does it, you know, she approaches me in a very safe way. It's assertive, but it's safe, <laughs> not aggressive. You know, it's not, it's not in a, it's not, in a, it's not, not, with, not with contempt mm-hmm. or accusatory, but it is out of, certainly out of, um, she has a, a, a valid need to check things out. Mm-hmm. And I certainly respect that. And I think it's that, it's that safe two-way communication here without pressure. And really, I think with some level of empathy, you know, that, that are some of the ingredients in this trust building and maintaining trust process. And really what we're kind of transitioning to that I want to talk with you guys about is you guys are a long ways into your healing process. We're talking mm-hmm. 10 years. I'm sure the the questions for checking things out did not come across all sweet and kind in the beginning. I know they didn't for me, right? And so we're talking, you guys are, how far past discovery or disclosure are you guys? How far? 10. It's about 10 years. This fall? 10 years this fall, a little over nine, I guess, nine and a quarter, something like that. So let's talk to the people who are listening, who are far into recovery. Okay. Because this, there's, there's a, and I want to shift because there's kind of this drop off where there's a lot of focus on the crisis phase. There's a lot of focus Mm -hmm. on the messy phase, what's going to happen to the marriage, but there's counseling and things start to drop off. Once the, once people are out of crisis, this is what I've seen anyways, once, if it's moving towards divorce or even if it's moving towards health. And then there's, there's very little conversation about what does life look like? You know, we're talking five plus years where there's been solid healing, where there's been reconciliation, but the fact is there's always risk. The fact is this is part of the story. The fact is life is not perfect, but it can be beautiful and good. Mm-hmm. It can be more authentic than ever, right? Mm-hmm. So um, can you guys speak to those people who are far into their recovery journey about what's real life like? What's real life like 10 years after uh, D-Day? Um, oh, man. 
there's so much to say. It's hard to even kind of put into words of how do you summarize it. Uh, I think a few things that stand out to me, Tammy. One is um, back just talking about my my relationship with myself, I think, first of all, is is so drastically different mm-hmm. than it ever was uh, before entering into this. I didn't I didn't realize the very strangely wrapped gift that this mm-hmm. uh, could be even for myself. Yeah. There were so many areas of my own life that needed healing, um, a lot of insecurities and core beliefs and uh, just feeling a lot of inadequacy. I brought a lot into a relationship as well. And so this journey has just been a journey of really knowing who I am, my worth and value, my identity, really being able to stand in that. And I think that is one thing that that cannot be taken away from me. I think I um, just realized now, like there is a firm foundation that I have a foot that can stand on. And uh, there is this gift of this relationship with Chris that really is such a gift. There, There is intimacy that uh, we we did not know was, uh, was possible in terms of emotional intimacy. Right. Um, just really being able to be known. There were a lot of parts of myself that I felt like weren't, weren't good enough or um, I should hide. And so, you know, even now just being able to to let Chris know me. I mean, he knows mm-hmm. everything there is to know and continues to choose me. And um, I can give the same gift back to him that I know him. I know um, his whole story, his choices, and very much want to and choose to choose him. So those are a couple of thoughts I have. Yeah, I would just say... An- uh, what you would see in our relationship would be a an ongoing elite. Well, from, from, it's both of us, but from from my perspective, an ongoing commitment to honesty and sobriety. I mean, like you said earlier, Tammy, couldn't agree more with you. Sobriety is about we talk about there's behavioral sobriety or sexual sobriety, but then there's there's a sober mindedness. Mm-hmm. There's a character shift. There's a heart change. You know, so I think you you also see things, I hope, more often than not, you'd see me, like you'd see me emotionally regulated around the house. You'd see me treating people in a kind way. You'd see me maybe giving, both of us, too, I think both of us, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt, you know, and just trying to, what, trying to operate what we, what we call, you know, kind of out of our wise place or our wise mm-hmm our wise person, not our, our old survivor versus our old survivor person. Mm-hmm. And so we want, really, we're trying to live every day out of our wise, out of that wise place. What is, mm-hmm. you know, what is that, that? And that looks drastically different than someone with, yeah, that's heaped in really, really kind of in silence, heaped in shame mm-hmm. and guilt and maintaining a double life of addiction and so on and so forth. I think we're, we stay, we, we've learned a lot about, how to communicate, I mean, really just how to communicate well mm-hmm. and safely with one another. So I, I hope you would see most of the time, good, good, constructive, <laughs> safe communication. Uh, but these are all things we had no, really, we had no clue about. And again, we had to work on all three pieces. What is each of us individually? And then when we thought we could maybe start to just gradually come back together, then we had to start working on these aspects of the relationship that we were clueless in on top of building, rebuilding trust mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And so um, I think, I think just an openness and a, just a mutual um, gratitude for one another and just a lot of grace and safety, safety. Mm. And I think, yeah, I mentioned um, a commitment to sobriety and, you know, and I think I, I really believe, I believe 
a, a man, a person can be sexually sober indefinitely. I believe it. And I have been, and I'm committed to that. And I think um, that's important. Uh, and Absolutely. so that's part of what you would see or part of what would be in play um, in, in our relationship now. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you so much. Thanks Tim. for sharing your story, for you being willing to uh, be honest and vulnerable and authentic and, and just to give people a glimpse because it's a gift to have that glimpse of like, it is possible. Mm-hmm. It is possible to heal individually. It's possible to even heal as a couple. Thank you for joining us today on the Faithful and True podcast. We hope that the presentation by Chris and Elizabeth Hardesty has been one of great benefit to you and uh, has provided you with a vision of what is possible if you're a couple out there who have been struggling with uh, these issues. Sexual addiction is a very powerful uh, struggle and for both the husband and for the wife. And here at Faithful and True, for over 30 years, We've been guiding couples through that journey. Uh, we, we thank you for listening to this today and for joining us. We invite you to visit faithfulandtrue.com where you'll find lots of resources. Uh, we want to be there to help you. We've got our three-day men's journey workshop. We've got the women's journey workshop as well. And we also offer the couples journey workshop later in the year. So check us out at faithfulandtrue.com. And in the meantime, we hope this coming week will be a week for you that's filled with many blessings and with great vision.